Welcome to the On Your Left Politics Podcast, the podcast that's probably to your left. My name is Katrina Ames, and I use she-them pronouns. And I'm Nirali Shath, I use she-her pronouns. Uh, We are in your uh, podcast feeds every Wednesday if you hit the follow button, so be sure to do that. Uh, I think you'll like us in your ears every week. I like us in my ears every week, so do that. It's great. And if you've already followed us and listened to us every week, first of all, we appreciate you. But we might appreciate you more if you checked out patreon.com slash onyourleftpod. But only if you have the means to do so. So what are we talking about this week, Narali? So this week we're talking about uh, workers' rights and labor and stuff. Um, Labor Day just passed, like last week, so that was a thing. Um, I'm not wearing any white. Neither am I, actually. Happy fall. Um, we did it. Uh, there's a lot going on around labor right now. Um, there Currently, um, the University of Michigan uh, grad students, who are also employees of the school, are on strike. Um, and so are nurses at uh, the University of Illinois, Chicago, And it's a lot. So let's get into it. Let's talk for a little bit about the University of Michigan's grad student strike. Uh, Listeners who have been with us for a little while may remember that a couple weeks ago we talked specifically about schools reopening and how that's impacting college students. We uh, mentioned NYU food TikTok, and let me tell you, University of Michigan quarantine TikTok is just as depressing. Yeah, it's not... It's not pretty. Current uh, graduate student strike is in protest of U of M's coronavirus protections, and um, they also want better policing, um, and about a thousand student employees are going on strike, which is a lot. (laughs) It is a lot, and a lot of people don't necessarily think of graduate students as employees, but a lot of the grad students I know uh, teach undergrad classes and are researchers for a lot of the stuff that the university will put out. Grad students are an important part of academia and deserve to be protected and compensated fairly, and they shouldn't be forced to go back to work in an environment that is frankly not safe because of the pandemic and the lack of action that schools are taking to protect their academic community. Um. Yeah, and especially U of M is a massive research university, and a bulk of that research happens uh, with grad students, as in most big universities. Um, Universities just rely on graduate students to do a lot of the work for them while they get paid very little and also have to pay for their degree. So, yeah, it's it's bad. (laughs) Striking for better coronavirus protections also protects the undergraduate students, many of whom have had to be quarantined because of their positive tests. Uh, There have been 59 people who have tested positive just in the last two weeks at the university's testing sites. And those students are made to quarantine in a building that was not well-maintained without access to food and just have to stay there uh, when there are also apparently test problems yeah it's not good uh yeah tiktok is uh 
proving to be a menace to universities because it's just exposing them and how badly they're treating students right now. Um, so, and uh, it doesn't help that at University of Michigan, uh, the student requirements uh, in terms of uh, coronavirus protections are minimal. Um, and they're coming back to campus uh, return plan. Um, it's just that face coverings are required and um, you're expected to be tested at, like before you move in. Uh, but uh, off-campus students are not required to do any pre-arrival screenings. Um, and it's just said that they're expected to social distance, but like you can't ex- enforce an expectation, really. Um, Unless you change how your classroom setup is to have smaller class sizes, uh, do a more remote learning. You can't enforce the six feet apart rule. We can't even get that at the grocery store. Yeah. And yeah, there's something called enhanced social distancing that they want people to do, which is basically the same thing as regular social distancing, from what I can see. So yeah, it's just minimal requirements. Before we get to the demands of graduate students, we should say public employee strikes are technically illegal in Michigan, which is a wild uh, because you should striking is a form of peaceful protest that has absolutely moved most of the labor movement throughout history and is one of the very few reasons we have things like a five-day work week limited to 40 hours child labor laws uh not being locked up in factory to die a strike is denying someone whether that be uh, the public sector or private sector access to our labor, which is one of the things that we have the most leverage over. And the contract with University of Michigan prohibits graduate student employees from taking part in any action against or interference with the operations of the university, such as failing to report for duty or the failure to perform their employment duties. So this strike is incredibly brave and there could be a lot of pushback including these students losing their jobs as graduate students or access to finish their degrees. This is a huge step they are taking to protect themselves and their community. Yeah, it's a massive risk. Um, And uh, the reasons that they're doing it are pretty incredible. They want a right to work remotely without documentation. They want resources for remote work um, and better representation in the decision-making processes of the university surrounding health measures and access to the health models motivating current policy. So they just want, like, evidence behind, like, why the university is doing what they're doing and transparency. Um, However, they, they're... Demands are uh, beyond themselves as well. Um, They want uh, for parents and caregivers a care subsidy regardless of a care provider's license status and location and age of those who need care. Uh, They want to allow for health care plans to be maintained and available even during leaves of absence taken by anyone at no extra cost. Yeah, which I think... This is really getting behind the idea of paid family leave and ensuring that you still have your health care should something tragic happen 
hundreds of thousands of people have died. And we're all grieving. And we still need healthcare while we grieve, while we take care of people, while we ensure that our families and our communities are safe. And having to take a leave of absence due to grief, having to take a leave of absence because uh, you maybe have a new person in your life to take care of that, you shouldn't lose your health care for that. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's... There has been a daily tragedy in America for the last... Like, since since March. It's been a constant tragedy, which is why we're so used to it right now, but it bears repeating that someone new is grieving every single day. And... Yeah, there needs to be room for that in policy. Um, and uh, But in addition to the leave of absence uh, demands, they want better care for international students. Um, they want uh, international center support and the repeal of a ridiculous $500 stu- international student fee and document shipping fee. They want unconditional support in the form of extensions to degree timelines and funding, which makes complete sense considering uh, everything that's going on right now, and um, everyone is under an extreme amount of stress at all times. Um, They also want a $2,500 unconditional emergency grant, rent freezes, and flexible leases for on-campus housing, which I think is completely understandable considering many graduate students, in addition to being employees of the school, have other jobs that they might have lost um, and just have less income in general. Most of the world, most of the country has less income in general currently. So it makes sense. So finally, this uh, the, gra- the graduate student employees who are on strike uh, want to defund the Division of Public Safety and Security, which involves a 50% cut of their annual budget and a reallocation of the funds to community-based justice initiatives, and they want U of M to cut all ties with police, including the Ann Arbor Police Department and ICE, which is amazing. Um, It's incredible that they're fighting for this, um, in addition to uh, all of the other reasonable demands they're making. Yeah, I think it's really important because I don't know what things are like specifically at the University of Michigan, but I know that my school's Division of Public Safety and Security did not do anything. Any of the times anything bad happened on campus, and they especially didn't do anything if something bad happened off campus to one of their students. Yeah, um... And from what I understand, Ann Arbor and U of M are pretty intertwined. Like, it's a massive school in a relatively small city. Um, So, yeah, those two communities are, like, the same community, and it just doesn't make sense to, uh, like both have a division of public safety and security and uh, have ties with the police department. I don't know. It just seems weird to have double the amount of policing on one campus. So that makes sense. And yeah, I do really love that they want to cut all ties with ICE, which is 
basically a government-funded terror organization. I appreciate the graduate students that are striking at University of Michigan, and I wish them all the best in getting all of these demands going on at the University of Illinois Chicago with the nurses strike. So, um, like the University of Michigan, the University of Illinois has a hospital, uh, with it, and, um, at the hospital, uh, the nurses are currently on strike. Um, we are recording this on September 13th, and as of September 12th, a seven-day strike has begun. Basically, what's happened is a contract in Basically, what's happened is a contract expired in August, and the Illinois Nurses Association is unhappy with the demands being placed on nurses, understandable, and um, contract contract negotiations are not going well. Um, They... So, uh, basically, the university does not want to put a cap on the number of patients a nurse can have, which is bad, um... When a nurse has too many patients, they cannot give an adequate level of care to any of the patients. Um, They are overworked already, and um, yeah, I like if I was admitted to a hospital, God forbid, for any reason, I would want a nurse who is not dead on their feet, and um, I wouldn't want a nurse who can actually pay attention to my case personally. When you are in a hospital, a nurse is your main point of contact for most medical issues. Doctors see a lot of patients, they're focused on diagnosis, they want to make sure the overall picture is going well, and you are prescribed the right medications to help you. And are they in an emergency? But when it comes to actual patient care, nurses are a lot of... Nurses are the people actually carrying out a lot of the doctor's instructions, providing you with the care that you need, making sure you're taking your medicine, making sure that your care is quality. It's ridiculous that there is no cap on the amount of patients a nurse can have. Um, In addition to this, uh, the hospital wants to freeze nurses' pay for three years. Um, Now, obviously, the economy is not good right now for most people um it's hard to pay people for things i understand that but this is ridiculous this is after uh these nurses uh who are in a large city they are in chicago they have been treating all of these cases since all of this started they have uh gone through not having PPE and all of that stuff, too. They have seen patients die constantly. They deserve adequate pay. And I understand that some people might get worried when they hear that nurses are striking. So we just want to reassure you that critical care nurses are still showing up for their shifts. They're just picketing before and after their shifts because nurses do not want us to die. They want to protect the community. Nobody got into nursing thinking it was going to be a stress-free job where you can make a lot of money quickly. They care about us, and they care about us enough to ensure that even as they are striking, they are still technically showing up to work. It's Mm -hmm. a weird situation. Striking in the medical field is weird. Yeah. Although I do remember my, my teachers doing something very similar when I was in high school. Um... Because, again, 
like te- like nursing like teachers care about the people that they serve and they wanted us to learn but they also wanted to have real contract negotiations and fair pay ridiculous that we have to fight this hard for just the basics because ensuring that uh, nurses can pay their bills over the next three years ensuring that nurses aren't constantly exhausted from having a hundred patients at a time those are very serious things that will make the patient's life better it will make the institution of healthcare better if we make sure that nurses are paid well and treated well yeah um and also um we talk about what's going on in the u.s a lot obviously we're both american we both really really care about the u.s and um just like it's an election year (laughs) but um it's important to note that this is a global issue um currently teachers in france are on strike because of the lack of protections uh they're getting in terms of the coronavirus um it's all over the world um these are very serious issues and um yeah solidarity with everyone trying their best to uh balance getting fair pay and um real protections for themselves with like serving the people that they want to serve like nurses and their patients and teachers and their students it feels like things are really really bad in general because of the pandemic but a lot of these problems existed before the pandemic ever came about a lot of the reasons people are striking is because the pandemic just exposed inequities we just kind of want to reiterate that labor rights in the united states has always been an uphill fight that has involved protesting and striking uh and collective action Without collective action, employees employers would be able to treat their employees however they want. We wouldn't have weekends without unions fighting for it, or and teachers wouldn't have salary increases or contracts without striking. Uh, we wouldn't have minimum wage or overtime pay, and yeah, workers would still be working in unsafe conditions. Historically, the people who have fought for labor rights made everyone's life better, because most people belong to the working class. That is the basic tenet of populism, which has overwhelmingly won the last several elections by people making populist arguments. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Joe Biden, because he's our first choice now. <laughs> which, honestly, it feels a little bit weird to be saying that for this episode specifically because the biden plan for encouraging unions and empowering workers has always been great it was great during the primary in my opinion it's joe biden has always been a very pro-union candidate he has always gotten along really well with people in the labor movement he's really good on this issue he's literally my first choice on this issue not just like my first choice now (laughs) Like, we've we've dinged Joe Biden quite a bit in the last few episodes for uh, things that we want to see, things where he could be pushed farther. But, yeah, I'm not mad at this plan. It's good. It's good. I am suitably impressed by Joe Biden. Wow. <laughs> and 
I do think that some of these things have come from the party generally moving and trending leftward over the past few years. Like, I don't think some of these policies would exist if not for massive social movements led by Bernie Sanders over the last four years and Fight for 15 and union organizers really pushing an agenda that was drawn on economic rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Joe Biden's doing fine. Yeah. Let's get into it. There are three main tenets of Joe Biden's plan. It is to check the abuse of corporate power over labor, encourage and incentivize union organizing and collective bargaining, and to ensure that workers are treated with dignity and receive the pay, benefits, and workplace protections they deserve. Let's start with checking the abuse of corporate power over labor because I think we've said this before on the podcast, but massive corporations scare us and we hate them. Yeah, mega corporations, um, corporations that own the vast majority of a market, um, corporations that like terrifyingly run the world, um, no bueno. So one of the first things that Joe Biden is going to do is hold corporations and executives personally accountable for interfering with organizing efforts and violating labor laws. Part of this is um, from a bill called the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which is shortened to the PRO Act. It's very positive. Nice. But this would mean it will put financial penalties on companies that interfere with workers' organizing efforts. And that also includes firing and retaliating against workers, uh, something that we saw Amazon doing uh, just a few months ago at the beginning of the pandemic when their warehouse workers were trying to get safer conditions to deal with the pandemic. Hmm. Holding people and companies and corporations accountable holding them liable when they interfere with organizing efforts, including criminally liable when the interference is intentional, is really important uh, because Jeff Bezos made so much money during this pandemic that if he gave every person employed by Amazon currently $105,000, he would have the exact same amount of wealth that he did at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh my god. That is so much money. I think he should be held liable for all of the harm he's caused. I don't even want to say how many years of pay that is for me. Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we can safely say we're pro the the pro pro act. You said it was called. Yep. Yeah. Pro pro, pro act. <laughs> pro pro act. Um. So. Uh, also, under um, Biden's plan to check the abuse of corporate power is to aggressively pursue employers who violate labor laws, participate in wage theft, or cheat on their taxes by intentionally misclassifying employees as independent contractors. Uh, so, permalancers, y'all might actually be employees soon. That might be good. Companies constantly break labor laws when it comes to their independent contractors and their freelancers who they somehow require to work regular hours and output a specific amount of work every week and show up at their offices and 
tell them when and where they can work and how much they're going to be paid without actually negotiating a fair price with their labor or providing them any benefits. And that's wrong. Conte nasty, eat your heart out. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, do- yeah, the most recent, like, pop culture thing that happened around this was all of the people of color at the Bon Appetit test kitchen getting paid nothing compared to their white counterparts, and they were all independent contractors. So, yeah, very relevant. In some cases, literally being paid nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Will we name a company for every single point we make? Probably not. No. But we might try. (laughs) We're also going to ensure that federal dollars do not flow to employers who engage in union-busting activities, participate in wage theft, or violate labor laws. Wage theft is the number one form of theft in America. Wage theft, which is your company stealing from you, accounts for more money lost than every other form of theft combined. Uh, Can we give an example of what wage theft can look like? Because I feel like people don't realize that they're being stolen from sometimes. I used to work at a store. At that store, uh, I would clock in and clock out. And sometimes I would be asked to do things after I clocked out, which I was not being paid for then. That violated labor laws and was wage theft. A lot of employees are also just afraid of retaliation from their employers if they say no, even after they've clocked out. Um, Something that's happened to me is I have worked overtime hours and then have been denied that pay multiple times. Um, And that is also wage theft. So Trump revoked an executive order that requires employers' compliance with labor laws. A weird choice to make. Um, So Biden is going to ensure that federal contracts only go to employers who commit to not run anti-union campaigns. This could make .govs like a little bit weird for a while because they are run through Amazon Web Services who we know participate in union-busting activities. That's kind of the thing I'm most worried about. Amazon, specifically, messing everything up. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of scary. Maybe the internet shouldn't mostly be run by one company. Hmm. (laughs) Oof. What what an idea, not having a monopoly on our government. But I also don't... I don't want my tax dollars to go to companies that treat their workers terribly. Yeah. I mean, like, I would prefer if my tax dollars just didn't go to mega corporations, but they are. So, like, maybe treat your employees well with my money. Maybe. And there are also, like, a lot of smaller contractors that do, like, government work. A lot of government work is literally just infrastructure jobs. The idea is the government pays for like roads and bridges to be repaired because we all use them it's a public service that we all use so they will use local construction workers and have that be contract work a totally normal thing and we want all of and we want the companies that we hire to not try to steal from their employees stop their employees from joining a union or violate labor laws and Anyway, it is a very simple policy on paper. Yep. 
Um, yeah, might be slightly more difficult to execute, but at least they're trying. Something else under the um, Biden plan for uh, checking the abuse of corporate power over labor is to penalize companies that act in bad, that bargain in bad faith. Um, so what does this mean exactly? Because I'm not entirely sure. Sure. So a lot of employers will pretend to bargain with unions without actually wanting to reach an agreement with those unions. They're just kind of trying to drag out the time it takes to get to a contract so that the unions will eventually give up uh, and accept less. That that yeah. sounds really familiar to me when I remember all the teacher strikes that happened in, in New Jersey. Yeah, the way they just didn't have a contract for a couple of years. So this would require companies to pay a penalty and a fine. This is also something found in the PRO Act um, and protecting the right to organize is should force any employer found to be bargaining in bad faith back to the negotiating table, back to actually spending time with the union representatives and trying to get things done in a way that it works for everyone and protects people and gives people good pay and working conditions. Joe Biden wants to make companies pay for stalling negotiations and not actually giving us anything and just stalling for time in the hopes that we give up. Yeah, they don't want massive companies to fight a war of attrition with unions, and I think that's great because unions are usually fighting for employee rights. And companies are usually fighting to just not pay people. Companies love profits. That's the entire idea behind a corporation. Moving on, let's talk about encouraging and incentivizing union organizing and collective bargaining. First up, Joe Biden wants to make it easier for workers who choose to unionize to do so. Because right now, like we've all seen stories about workers facing a battle of anti-union intimidation, intense employer opposition when trying to organize a union. There is a whole show on network TV called Superstore that is literally just about workers being abused while trying to form a union and having to go through these huge intimidation tactics. Great show. Bearing zero similarity to a uh, mega corporation whatsoever. It is not eerily familiar in any way. <laughs> um, so, uh... Uh, Joe Biden also wants to ban employers' uh, mandatory meetings with their employees, um, including captive audience meetings in which employees are forced to listen to anti-union rhetoric. Um, yeah, basic. Yeah, a lot of companies just um, force their employees to uh, like listen to propaganda about how bad unions are. Um, because it would protect the company. Yeah, and just to be clear, when workers are in those mandatory meetings about how bad unions are, the company is choosing to spend time and money paying you to go to that meeting about how bad unions are instead of whatever your actual job is and the job that you perform, your labor, makes them money. Which mm -hmm. means unions stopping unions makes more money for the company and gets more profit than your actual labor does that's how scared they are of unions and it's literally all they're scared of is their employees fighting for better lives one thing that will 
also help stop this waste of time is reinstating and codifying into law the Obama-Biden administration's persuader rule, which requires employers to report not only information communicated to employees, but also the activities of third-party consultants who work behind the scenes to manage employers' anti-union campaigns. Because there is so much money made from breaking up unions and doing anti-union activities that there is a whole other industry dedicated to it. That's terrifying. Another thing uh, Joe Biden wants to do is stop employers from stalling initial negotiations with newly formed unions. Um, The most recent example of that I can think of is the uh, BuzzFeed union that formed. Um, uh, BuzzFeed employees formed a union and BuzzFeed just refused to meet with them for a while, like a good long while. Um, So then the companies didn't have to listen to their demands or negotiate with them. And yeah, it was bad. So this would be good. Yeah. Refusing to recognize that union doesn't actually do anything except uh, make all of your employees mad at you. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It keeps things the status quo, but a lot of your employees are probably talented enough that they could leave and mm-hmm. do something else because uh, if if your your employees already joined the union, that's that's the thing. They are already part of a union. You're not doing anything by trying to see if it'll go away in a little bit because they won't. Mm-mm. Um, Biden also wants to provide a federal guarantee for public sector employees to bargain for better pay and benefits, and the working conditions they deserve. So, um, earlier in this episode, we talked about how in Michigan, um, like, public employees can't, can't fight for, can't strike. Um, this would help with that. In many states, public sector workers don't even have the right to bargain collectively. It's not Mm -hmm. just striking, it's just having a union And in states like Iowa, Wisconsin, Florida, Michigan, and Indiana, these rights are increasingly under attack. Which is wild, because these are public servants who are helping everyone in the community, and they deserve to be compensated fairly for it. Having a federal right to union organizing and collective bargaining means that those employees who serve our communities actually get fair pay and safe working conditions and literally everything else. And when we say public sector workers, we mean a lot of things. Uh, For example, every teacher that teaches in a public school is a public sector employee. Mm -hmm. That is what most people are familiar with. And in some states, they cannot strike. We saw a bunch of teacher strikes just a few years ago. And in some states, it was illegal for them to strike. It was illegal for them, or increasingly difficult for them to even bargain and work collectively. Public sector employees serve all of us. Mm -hmm. So we need to back them up and make sure that there is a federal guarantee to ensure that they can bargain for what they need. Yeah, that would be 
Amazing. Another thing Biden wants to do, he wants to ban state laws that prohibit unions from collecting dues or comparable payments from all workers who benefit from union representation um, that unions are legally obligated to provide. Um, So, yeah, union dues are really important when you're in a union. Um, They keep your union membership um, and they allow unions to continue functioning so that they can keep working for you a lot of the time these like state laws you may be familiar with them from the phrase right to work laws because they've branded them very well and i'm still mad about it it's convincing branding but like more than half of all states have these laws in place and all it does is deprive workers of their rights They only exist to stop unions from getting the financial support they need to fight for workers. It's great that this is on here because a lot of states have these laws. Biden also wants to create a cabinet level working group that will solely focus on promoting union organizing and collective bargaining in the public and private sectors. He wants to do that in the first 100 days of his administration. And hopefully uh, this group can increase union density and address economic inequality because it will focus on labor with representatives from labor yeah i hope that um because it would be a cabinet level group um he'd be able to appoint um like as like as many people as he not as many people as he wants but like true experts in the field if he wants to and i feel like he will um, and because they're cabinet level, they would pretty much have direct access to the president and be able to really get things done. And that would be amazing. Another, uh, point is that, uh, Biden wants to ensure that workers can bargain with the employer that actually holds the power, including franchisers, um, and ensure that those employee, those employers are accountable for guaranteeing workplace conditions. This is really important because, um, I feel like the most obvious version of this is fast food restaurants where um, franchisers are like places like McDonald's, the company, or Taco Bell, the company. Um, Whereas, like, they're not the people who own the actual shop, but they are the company that should be in charge of the way labor functions in that workplace. I kind of want to eat McDonald's now. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I kind of want Taco actually Bell. Hungry. I'm really mad at Taco Bell because they uh, are taking off the only thing I eat at Taco Bell after they already took off the the cheesy Fiesta potatoes and the other potato themed dishes. So I'm mad. Look, I think after we you know finish saving the country or the soul of the nation or whatever, we should save the Mexican pizza. We should save the Mexican pizza. It is good. And also Taco Bell is like the most vegetarian friendly fast food place, like by far. Um, all of their all of their food is customizable and they are ruining that. I don't like it. <laughs> and should we convince that all Taco Bell employees go on strike to save the Mexican pizza? Biden will ensure that workers can exercise that right to strike and without fear of reprisal because a lot of employees and workers are afraid uh, to 
actually put pressure on their employees by participating in strikes or picket lines or boycotts because they could lose their jobs or be replaced or be blacklisted in some areas. Oh, oh my god, the example he uses is actually Taco Bell. Oh my god, really? <laughs> okay. Tomato <laughs> growers unsuccessfully led strikes of their employer at the turn of the century. I kind of remember this as being, oh, I cannot get ask for extra tomatoes at the fast food place. Was I upset? <laughs> yes. I was 10 and I was mad. Understandable. I like tomatoes. So they successfully boycotted Taco Bell and other fast food giants who bought the tomatoes in order to gain better wages and working conditions. So wow. this would protect employees and workers who are facing really high barriers to exercising their right to strike and don't have a lot of resources to sustain strikes for a long period of time and helping them actually bring pressure to their employees bring pressure to their employers without being penalized because they aren't actually protected because so low-wage workers are replaced so what i'm hearing is that the actual employees of the farms Mm -hmm. boycotted Taco Bell yes. and then Taco Bell was like yo we're not getting any business because you're being a crap employer be better pretty much I love that <laughs> yeah because my anger my anger as a 10 year old that could not get tomatoes or could not get extra tomatoes <laughs> eventually resulted in those workers getting compensated fairly and having safer working conditions and i'm glad i could contribute your anger as a child was heard and that's important so biden also wants to empower the uh, national labor relations board uh to fulfill its intended purpose of protecting workers which i mean under the current administration unsurprisingly it's not doing that nope uh, no. Trump has completely undermined any progress that's being made by appointing board members with long histories of anti-union activities. Just imagine the pretends to be shocked GIF. So Donald Trump also gutted the ability of federal employees to collectively bargain, stripped them of their union representation, and made it easier to fire federal employees without a just cause. So Biden is going to reinstate and expand protections for federal employees because that's all a mess and that's what he's on his first day of office biden is just going to undo that garbage that would be great please do that another thing biden wants to do is expand uh long overdue rights to farm workers and domestic workers like the tomato growers like the tomato growers we love you taco bell tomato growers thank you thank you Thank you for providing Katrina with her tomatoes. Right now, farm workers and domestic workers, they aren't fully protected under federal labor law, which is ridiculous. Biden ensuring and supporting legislation like the Fairness for Farm Workers Act and Domestic Workers Bill of Rights that expands federal protections to agriculture and domestic workers is huge. And it gives them so much so that they have basic workplace cult protections and the right to organize and collectively bargain 
and I just ensuring that they have a voice in the workplace through a wage and standards board. That's all amazing, and I'm so thankful because we need it. Let's uh, move on to the uh, third prong of Joe Biden's um, plan for encouraging unions and empowering workers. Um, so in this part, uh, Biden wants to ensure that workers are treated with dignity and receive pay, benefits, and workplace protections they deserve. So the first thing um, Biden wants to do, uh, which is largely thanks to the Fight for 15 movement and um, Bernie Sanders, is uh, increase the federal minimum wage to $15. Fantastic. So happy. So that happy. Is that is double what the current minimum wage is. Everyone deserves a living wage. Biden also wants to invest in communities by widely applying and strictly enforcing prevailing wages, which is kind of a confusing sentence. So the prevailing wage is the wage earned by the median worker in the same occupation in the same region. It kind of puts it on by making sure that people kind of make what is fair um and ensuring that like federal investment in jobs is covered by the prevailing wage protections so if we had the same job we would probably make very different amounts of money right now uh, but it would still be considered fair even if you made more than me because you live in a much more expensive housing market the rent is too damn high and um it's i'm too glad and yeah like if you were if we had the same exact job and I was living in New York City and you were living in in Pittsburgh, like it would be it would be unfair that we got paid the same because I would have to put a lot more into rent than you would. You know, you'd be able to save a lot more money than I would. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but also the rent is just too damn high. This is kind of about building a middle class and not to try to like wage cuts your competition among employers in things like construction or the service industry and mm -hmm. making sure that we have standards that are enforced so that projects that are funded by the government, it's not every job, pay what is fair and equitable to the workers based both on what job they are doing and where they live so that everybody can make a middle-class wage and have a middle-class experience based on where they live um i am like this is actually this is a really good thing um that will help uh minimize the wage gap um so the like this is a net good thing it's a little confusingly worded but it is a net good yeah a lot of policy is just a jargon, um, and sometimes that means that the policy is written by experts, and sometimes it means that they are purposefully trying to confuse voters in order to get away with some shady things. In this instance, it was just jargon written by experts that know what they're talking about and forgot that most people aren't deeply invested in labor policy. But yeah, it basically means that, like, in general, you won't be underpaid for your labor. Right? Yep. Yeah. Great. Yep. Um, so, uh, 
Something else Biden wants to do is stop employers from denying workers overtime pay that they've earned. Uh, I mentioned earlier this episode that that's happened to me many times, so this is awesome. Not paying overtime is wage theft. It is wrong. And the Trump administration has decided to uh, implement a rule that leaves millions of workers behind and doesn't work to protect and fight for extended overtime pay from the people who are still working overtime but not being paid or compensated fairly for it. And uh, just since Trump walked away from absolutely protecting all of us and all of the working class, uh, people have lost $2.2 billion in foregone overtime wages. You should have never been denied overtime pay. I think that's what I'm really saying. Yeah, I I would log my hours and then I'd get questions about what I was doing during those hours. And I would show them proof of what I was doing during those hours. And then they'd be like, no. We also want to ensure that workers in the gig economy and, you know, other independent contractors receive the legal benefits and protections they deserve. There are a lot of people I know that have turned to, like, the gig economy and started driving for DoorDash or Uber Eats or another company that hasn't sponsored us yet. So we actually don't have an opinion on them other than maybe they should treat their workers better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people have turned to these jobs as they, you know, lost full-time employment or their industry has just stopped during the pandemic altogether. And um, they are classified, sometimes misclassified, as independent contractors. And that deprives these workers of their legally mandated benefits and protections. Uber especially has come under fire over this a lot over the years. um, Because, like, the Uber system is a little, more than a little ridiculous because people do work their uber jobs full-time um and they should be treated as full-time employees that should be a thing uh just last year california enacted a plan that would adopt just a way to distinguish employees from independent contractors and make sure that more workers get the legal protections and benefits they rightfully should receive And Biden wants to take that plan and expand it to cover the whole country because these companies exist pretty much everywhere in our country now. So uh, another thing on uh, this part of the Biden plan is eliminating non-compete clauses and no poaching agreements that um, hinder the ability of employees to seek higher wages, better benefits, and working conditions by changing employers. yeah, non-competes are not great. Um, and yeah, people should be able to look for another job in their field and in like they're on the, that matches their resume that gives you better pay. Like that should be allowed um, and it shouldn't be in your contract that you can't work for a competing company. It's ridiculous that that's a thing. Speaking of bad rules, Biden wants to put an end to unnecessary occupational licensing requirements. Sometimes licensing is important to some occupations to protect consumers. 
Um, but for some occupations, licensing doesn't do anything except for stopping economic opportunity. One example I saw recently was a state was requiring someone who had a braiding business, uh, just specifically braiding black hairstyles. And they wanted to require them to go to school to pay $20,000 to go to cosmetology school and get their license. Um, the cosmetology schools in that state do not cover braiding black hair. So what's the point in spending that $20,000 for a license of, for something that this person is already an expert in if they have a successful business doing it? Um, because, like, it's, like, black hair is a very specific thing to be an expert in and to do well. Um, yep. Uh, Biden also wants to make it easier to ensure that occupational licenses are transferable between states if you move. That's great. Um, another thing that's great uh, that Biden wants to do is increase workplace safety and health. We like OSHA. Mm-hmm. Yep, we just want them to be able to do their job. We don't want to get hurt or injured or die because we go to work. That would be nice. Biden wants to ensure workers can have their day in court by ending mandatory arbitration clauses imposed by employers on workers. There have been millions of workers that have to sign a contract waiving their rights to sue their employer, and some have been forced to waive their right to bring class action lawsuits or joint arbitration to their employers. I personally am most familiar uh, with these policies as it relates to sexual harassment problems within the workplace, policies that company signs saying that you can't, you know, sue them, also allows these employers and workplaces to have a culture in which people are treated terribly and are consistently undergo sexual harassment or even sexual abuse from their bosses day in and day out, and the only way they could maybe get justice is force arbitration with the pe person they are accusing of you know, consistently harming them, and there is usually no legal action taking. At best, you might get a settlement. Yeah, it's it's horrifying that this continues to be a problem, and that employers continue to allow it to be a problem. Um, but I am glad that this policy would allow people to actually seek justice for the harm that was done on them. And uh, speaking of seeking justice, um, Biden also wants to expand protections for undocumented immigrants who report labor violations. Um, undocumented immigrants are constantly terrified um, of reporting anything to anyone in the government for obvious reasons. Um, and, uh, because of this, employers take advantage of undocumented employees, and this would allow undocumented employees to at least report without fear of retaliation. Currently, when undocumented immigrants are victims of serious crimes and help in the investigation of those crimes, they become eligible for U-visas. Um, and 
Biden wants to further extend those protections to victims of any workplace violations of federal, state, or local labor law. And I think that's great. It's already something that is technically in place and ensuring that it also covers labor laws because the violation of labor law is a serious crime. That, that... I just want to protect people and build a society where, you know, we're not constantly in danger. That's all. Yeah. There's like a, there's a lot to be, um, there's a lot to be done in terms of protecting undocumented immigrants. Um, we've mentioned before that we would like ICE to be abolished. Um, but this is a step in the right direction. So what else would we like to see from the Biden plan that's not currently included in it? Um, so there were a couple of holes that I saw in the plan, um, a couple of, uh, groups of people that weren't really being acknowledged in the Biden plan that I would love to see. As you probably know, uh, fires are currently raging across California once again. Um, and the people fighting those fires, a lot of the time are prisoners, are people who are currently in prison and are fighting fires and being compensated virtually nothing for it. Um, It would be great if there was adequate compensation for them um, and adequate protection for them. Um, Firefighting isn't the only thing that prison labor gives us. There is a lot more. Um, And it would just be great if prison labor wasn't treated as slave labor and they were given adequate compensation and adequate protections and treated the same in society as any other employee. Yeah. I have a couple things I want to say about the firefighter problem. On August 24th, 2020, CNN reported that California's early release inmate program is causing a inmate firefighter shortage because the state released nonviolent offenders early due to Mm -hmm. the pandemic because prisons are hot spots. You're all packed in very closely. You're not guaranteed soap. Uh, but California's reliance on prison labor to fight fires is not a labor shortage. It just means that they don't have a good enough fire fighting system uh, because they're not compensating or protecting them. Also, just yesterday, just yesterday, Gavin Newsom actually signed legislation allowing a pathway for inmate firefighters to become professional after release because it used to be illegal for these firefighters who were prisoners uh, to actually become firefighters after they were released. And that was weird and wrong. Yeah, because you're not supposed to have a criminal record if you're hired as a firefighter, right? Yep. Except the people, most of the people fighting that. Most of the people fighting the fires have a criminal record because they are in prison. Ah, I hate it. I hate it. Yep. I'm glad Gavin so now, Newsom signed that. <laughs> yep. Hopefully we won't have a firefighter shortage anymore since someone who has the skills to do it will now actually be able to do it professionally. Um, the bill does exclude uh, some crimes from uh, being able to become firefighters. Uh, people who were convicted of murder, kidnapping, rape, or any other felony that is punishable by death or life imprisonment. 
they they can't become firefighters still. Another another uh, thing that I would like to that I don't really expect from the Biden administration, um, but I would love to see is some protections for sex workers. Um, sex a lot of sex work is currently criminalized in the United States, and therefore there aren't any protections for them. Um, and it would be nice to see them acknowledged and protected. Yeah, I also don't expect this out of a Biden administration, but I would love to see it. Uh, I think this is something that's more likely going to have to be fought for state by state. Making sure that we have strong labor laws, that we have workers' rights, often means protecting the people who are most vulnerable. That means protecting the farm workers that are large and domestic workers that are largely immigrants and people of color. That means protecting uh, prison labor who are, you know, who are in a system where it is easy to abuse them or force them to work without being compensated anything lots of the time or being compensated very little to make things, Mm -hmm. you know, from doing things from fighting fires to in New York State making hand sanitizer. Yeah. Services that are needed and that they deserve to be compensated fairly for. And that also means fighting for sex workers because it is a profession where workers can be abused very easily um that lots of institutions criminalize just for them having the job that they do and that a lot of people participate in if not as a worker then as someone who consumes the product they create yep so we we need to protect and fight for everyone, and that means fighting for the most marginalized within our communities. Yeah, and it, it, and a lot of people who are marginalized have to turn to sex work um, in order to make money, um, and that should be acknowledged too. A lot of trans women, a lot of uh, people of color, a lot of undocumented immigrants have to turn to sex work because they have no other choice, um, and they need to be protected. All right, so how can we act? As of this episode being posted, there are 48 days until the November 3rd general election. You've made your plan to vote. You've asked your friends about their plans to vote. You've signed up for a mail-in ballot, if that is a thing you can do in your state. And you probably know who who you are voting for at the presidential level, at least. Your challenge today is to look up a sample ballot of your district um, and find find out who you are voting for in your congressional races, in your state legislatures, and any other local offices that will be on the ballot dis- this year. Then tell someone why you are voting for that person. Just talk about a reason you like this person who is not running for president. Talk about down-ballot races. They are extremely important. They will direct your community the most. Um, yeah, it's really important. Please look into who you are voting for in those down-ballot races. Yep. They're not as shiny as the presidential race, and we understand that. But I really desperately want to flip Pennsylvania state legislature because um, in 2010, uh, the Republican Party controlled the legislature, and they made what has been labeled the most partisan gerrymandered election map ever. (laughs) 
It's actually hard to get that title. There are some ridiculous gerrymandered maps. Oh, yes, yes. But the most partisan map belonged to Pennsylvania for eight years before it was thrown out by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. <laughs> it took eight years to do that. I am not spending 2020 to 2028 in a mess of a map that is barely different than that. You are going to check your down-ballot races. You are going to find good state legislators that would be good in the office, and you, you will please not have to endure the fate that I did. Another thing you should definitely do is check your voter registration deadline, and if you have already, already registered to vote, check to make sure you are on the voter roll. Voter rolls get purged a lot, um, especially in um, more uh, competitive states and, and especially in more red states. Please check to make sure you are actually on the voter rolls and will receive your mail-in ballot or will be able to vote the day of the, the election, depending on what your plan is. Just make sure of that and tell other people to double and triple check that they are actually registered to vote. If it's not easy to check, I would recommend going to vote.org. They have a pretty good system for keeping track of who's on the voter roll. We just, please, we just want you to be able to vote. Just check your voter registration. Make sure you weren't taken off of the voter roll. Make sure you're registered to vote where you currently live. Yeah. It's a lot, but you can do it. Um, the last thing you can do is if you are eligible to join a union, join a union. Ask for better pay. You probably have problems with your boss. You probably have problems with the company you work for. And instead of just complaining about it, you can do something about it by working together with your fellow workers to get what you deserve. Yeah, you probably have a friend or two uh, at your job that all of you complain about the job. That's just a thing you do. Um, however, if it's something that can actually change at your company, uh, get those two friends and yourself to talk about it with other employees and like talk about the changes you might want to see in your company and um, maybe uh, work collectively to make that happen. All right, on to good news this week. So uh, we both have good news, which is awesome. I'm going to go first because my thing is at the top of the outline. <laughs> yeah, also it's slightly more important. So earlier this week, and when you're listening to this, it'll be last week, AstraZeneca halted trials of its coronavirus vaccine after a participant was found to have an inflammatory syndrome that affects the spinal cord and is often sparked by viral infections. Uh, at the time, we are not sure if the reaction was directly linked to AstraZeneca's vaccine. It's still unknown. But, and this is really important, the fact that they stopped the vaccine trial is good. The fact that they stopped to examine what happened and make sure it wasn't caused by the vaccine is important because that's what vaccine trials are for. And we still need to do more late-stage vaccine testing. It is an incredibly important part of our public health. And these large trials can turn up rare but serious side effects that would only surface if lots and lots of people received a vaccine. People react to different medications differently. And it's important 
that we do these large trials and that if something comes up, we stop them. AstraZeneca did the right thing. They are not rushing into any vaccine because a bad vaccine means more people will die. It's very, very good that they are doing this deliberately. They are doing this carefully and um, that they stop testing and are going to figure out what happened and maybe fix the vaccine to make it better before before releasing it to the world. Yeah. They could also find that this in, um that the inflammatory syndrome that this person experienced wasn't actually caused by the vaccine. That's still fine. Because stopping the vaccine child because somebody could have something that could have been caused by the vaccine is the ethical thing to do. Mhm. It doesn't mean vaccines are scary or bad. It just means that scientists are doing their best to try and protect us and are behaving responsibly if it seems like something is going wrong or could be going wrong. And there are eight other vaccines for coronavirus in large-scale efficacy tests because we want to find the right vaccine and the best vaccine so that we stop dying. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, what's your fun good news? <laughs> so, um, the day this releases is a Wednesday, and this Wednesday, um, Taylor Swift is going to be performing the song Betty at the ACMs, and it is going to be released as a single. Um, Betty is a song, uh, allegedly, from the perspective of a boy who is asking for forgiveness for cheating on a girl. Um, however, it's... Taylor Swift is singing from the perspective of someone who wants to kiss girls, and that makes me very happy as a gay. Um, It's also a very fun song, and I'm excited to see um, what the music video looks like, if there's a music video. And um, it's really incredible to see that, like, award shows are still happening in some form or the other. Like, I don't know if, uh, Katrina, you caught Lady Gaga's performance at the VMAs, um... But it's actually better than a lot of performances at these live concert award shows because she was able to do like seven costume changes and um, cool effects and have more interesting sets because she was just in like a, a soundstage area where they could like build a whole set and like do a lot of elaborate stuff. Um, so it's amazing. I'm excited. This sounds nice. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. Y'all know how much I love Taylor Swift. I'm excited. The outline just says in all caps, Betty Single, Betty Single, Betty Single, because I love that song. What is our mango fact this week? Um, Our mango fact of the day is that mangoes are a stone fruit that come from the same family as cashews, pistachios, and poison ivy. I like two of those things. So, Katrina, where can we find you? You can find me at Katrina Ames on Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch. Where can we find you, Nerali? Uh, you can find me uh, at Fireword Sparkler on uh, Twitter, Twitch, uh, YouTube, in that order, because I am just so much more on Twitter and Twitch these days. Um, And if you want to support the podcast, you can go ahead and check out our Patreon 
at patreon.com slash on your left. We would really appreciate your help in making this podcast even better. This has been the On Your Left podcast all about workers' rights. And we so appreciate you. Have a great day.